white person in this room who would be happy to be treated as this society in general treats our citizens, our black citizens, if you as a white person would be happy to receive the same treatment that our black citizens do in this society, please stand. You didn't understand the directions. If you white folks want to be treated the way blacks are in this society, stand. Nobody's standing here. That says very plainly that you know what's happening. You know you don't want it for you. I want to know why you're so willing to accept it or to allow it to happen for others. are known, but from the evidence uh, that's been presented, the video that was taken, nobody should be shot and killed in Minnesota for a traffic uh, taillight tail being, being out, of, uh, out of function. Nobody should be shot and killed while their seat is still in their car without uh, a very, very different kind of response. I'm heartbroken from Minnesota. Because, uh, you know, I've heard in the last uh, few hours from very distinguished African-American men and women who recounted to me how they've been pulled over, singled out, and treated very differently because of their race from how uh, white Minnesotans expect to be covered. Would this have happened if those uh, passengers, the driver of the passenger, were white? I don't think it would have. I just want to say, you know, <clears throat> it is time to get angry and do something. You know, it is time to prevent these abusers and these police that abuse the law. But I just want to first salute some of the officers that we have on ground here. Because I see many ver with video on World Star dealing with Atlanta police officers, and they have not murdered. But around this country, you know, 15 minutes, 15 miles outside Atlanta, I'm afraid I will be murdered. And I'm tired of living in an environment where this city is the only place in this country I feel safe as a black person.
This episode of Politicking is 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 way overdue. This is this is not about music. This is not about hip hop. This is this is about us. This is about this is about our culture. This is about us as people, man. And uh, when you and I talked about how we were going to approach, you know, what's going on, and specifically, I'm talking about you know disproportionate shootings of, of African Americans in the United States. I, I I also struggled, you know, what I mean, with with the best way to open this up, you know, in an intelligent and in an insightful and in a way. You know, where people are listening to us right now, especially now where a lot of people are hurting, a lot of people are disgusted, a lot of people are pissed off. But more importantly, a lot of people are scared. A lot of people don't understand. They're confused. You know, that's not a black thing. That's not a white thing. That's a humanity thing, man. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out the best way, you know, uh, or the proper way to approach this topic, you know, due to that overwhelming emotion. So I did what I think everybody else did or is doing, and that's going to social media where I could be with other people that feel the way that, that I do right now. And um, I just want to open up this episode by mentioning a few names. Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Laquan McDonald, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Walter Scott, Freddie Gray, Sandra Bland, Michael Brown. Those are just a few of the names that impact us as people, that impact us as a community, <laughs> that impact us as a culture. I'm going to continue. I'm going to read you another list. Skittles, cell phone, music, loud music, cigarettes, cigarillos, Shopping at Walmart, toy gun, failure Bruh. to signal. Let me finish. Hold on. CDs, busted taillight. Bruh, I can't hear no more. I honestly just can't hear no more. I mean, as you and I talked about offline, man, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, no. but I just have tears streaming down my face right now. Because as you and I, as you and I talked offline, man, as much as I enjoy politicking, as much as I enjoy taking the social media about issues, I don't enjoy this. No. And for those who know me, there is absolutely nothing, nothing, man, that I can possibly think of to say that can shed light, add wisdom, provide comfort, to do anything for those families whose family members were taken just it it just seems so carelessly you know and speaking as a military person man you know i was in the infantry in the marine corps and we learned two very important methodologies first methodology was rules of engagement second methodology was the proper use for deadly force and before people say oh well the military is different the first two years I spent in the Marine Corps, I had a top secret clearance. And I provided security for a nuclear installation in the United States. And we had our share of you know, nonsense, you know, Greenpeace, things of that nature, so on and so forth. But there was a level of professionalism that we operated with. The first thing that comes to my mind I had a buddy of mine when I was in the Marine Corps acting up one day. He was being a kid. 
we're setting security and just to paint the picture we had like a humvee type a vehicle that had a 50 cal machine gun tarp on the top so you would stand up from inside the vehicle kind of like a sunroof and you would stand out and there and you you got the 50 cal in your hands because it was mounted on top of the vehicle so we're providing security for a uh, safe and secure move of nuclear weapons and this guy who i was in this humvee with was like watch this i'm gonna i'm gonna scare the hell out of this uh trucker so as the trucker drove by he took the barrel of the machine of the 50 cal and followed him as he drove by we all laughed stupid 18 19 20 year old kids we thought it was funny the look on a trucker's face it looked like he crapped his pants just like the dude said he would Within two hours, we're back to our barracks, chilling, and we're telling the story. Everybody's laughing. All of a sudden, the captain come, comes in to where we're uh, hanging out, and he calls the dude down. Now, the dude was a uh, E3, about to pick up his E4. For anybody who knows military, that's money. Squared away guy. Great Marine. They took his rank all the way down to an E0, basically an E1, a private. We were all shocked. You know, that's so unfair, this, that, and the other, so on and so forth. Nobody got hurt, this, that, and the other, so on and so forth. We're all living, because that's our boy. You know, we were all right there with him when he did it. When the captain came back after everything was all said and done, he explained to us the reason behind this guy getting all his rank taken was because we have a responsibility to the public. We are looked upon as the guardians of the border. We are looked upon as guardians of these civilians. The moment that we turn these civilians against us, thinking that we're not here to protect them, is the moment that we've lost our main mission as Marines. So when I think about that, no shots were fired, nobody got hurt, nobody was thrown to the ground. This is just a barrel of a weapon following a vehicle. But then I look upon what's happening, and again, it keeps bringing me to tears when I hear all the names. This last shooting that happened in Minneapolis is just so uncalled for. If you're afraid to do your job, then don't do it. Find another profession. If you are a firefighter, your job is to run into a burning house, check and see if there's anybody alive, and if there is, try to bring them out. That's your job. That's your job is to put yourself in harm's way to protect the citizens with whom you have been given charge, you've been given trust with their protection from fires. That's your job. So if you're afraid of running into a burning house or if you're afraid of fire, a firefighting position is not for you. It's just that simple. So I say that to say I am sick and tired of the narrative that this police officer feared for his or her life, which is why they took the life of somebody else. Are there instances where that's justifiable? 150%. But when you have a man sitting in a car and a four-year-old is sitting behind him and his and a female, forget about her relationship to that person driving the car, is sitting next to him, and you open up fire into that vehicle, you are endangering everyone within that vehicle, albeit the person in the front seat may warrant it. And in this case, that person did not. You are responsible. 
Because once you release that round from the chamber and it goes through the barrel of that weapon and it comes out and it hits his target, it has the ability to take a life. And that is irreversible, which is why you are responsible for that round, which is why you are held to a higher degree of accountability in the Marine Corps, in the military, you're guilty before proven innocent. Because again, you are beyond reproach. You are held to a higher standard. This is your job. You are paid to do it properly. You are responsible. I'll say this, all right? I'm fortunate enough to know, you know more than just a few honest and hardworking law enforcement personnel. That includes some of my best friends and some of the people in my very own family. That being said, you know, I definitely look at this with a much more, from a, from a much more personal standpoint than I would think a lot of others do in that, you know, I also hold law enforcement to a higher standard because I know law enforcement. And this bothers me, you know, to the nth degree. You know, it, it, it hurts me, it pains me deeply. You know what I mean? I go back to another post that my cousin made, my cousin Lauren Smith. She's doing great things down in Philadelphia, going to Temple University. She's in, intensely and keenly socially aware to what's going on, and she makes some incredibly insightful posts, and she has some incredibly insightful viewpoints on a lot of issues affecting not only society, but us as African-Americans, us as black Americans. She, she posted something uh, a few hours ago, and um, she's outraged, as am I as are you, as are, as are millions of people like us. And her post read, stop killing us, stop killing us. But yet and still, there are still some people whose response to that is, but. So, but what? And of course, you know, you have the cookie cutter responses to that, but. What about the black on black crime? Why aren't you outraged about that? Or, or why didn't, why didn't Alton, why didn't he follow the law? You know, if he had just complied to the police officer's, you know, procedures, then he would still be alive. What do you say to that? What do you say to the apologists, you know, to the people that, 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 that take that viewpoint to our stance? I mean, my first thing is there are people that won't or can't get it for a variety of different reasons, man. You know, willful ignorance is the first thing that comes to mind. If I just kind of bury my head in the sand and pretend like this is not a problem, then maybe it's not, or maybe I don't have to deal with it. But I just think it's deeper than that, man. And um, I go to another, another post that I saw, and one that kind of sticks to me like glue right now, especially now, man. True equality would feel like oppression to the privileged. And I think that applies now more than ever. There are some people Ooh, that's that, a big statement. Yeah, they just don't get it, man. And it's they just they just won't. They refuse to get it. And that goes back to the beginning of the episode and the conversation that the panelists was having, you know, with the members of the viewers, and said, "Please stand if you would like to be treated the way Black Americans are treated." How many how many of them do you think stood? Zero. None. None stood. And then she went on to say, I think, the most 
poignant and the most revealing thing of that whole exercise. If you're not standing, then you know full well that the way that black Americans are being treated is not right. So why are you allowing it to continue? I can put it to you this way. Nancy Reagan, Ronald Reagan, former president, first lady of the United States. And if you don't believe me that this is true, podcast listeners, look it up. But they were against homosexuality, outspokenly against AIDS research, even mentioning HIV and AIDS as an epidemic. But then what happened? Their own daughter came out as a homosexual. And then all of a sudden they were all for LBGTA rights. And I think I got that wrong, but I know what you mean. But they were all for those particular rights, for those who seek an alternative lifestyle. Let me put it that way. And again, no disrespect for Shay to the uh, homosexual community. I just LBGT right now. My, LBGT. Thank you. Yeah. LBGT. Thank you. It's just my brain is so in a different area right now. Mm-hmm. But that's when they all of a sudden became advocates. And it just brings home, and I can't, and I'm going to say this. I've been struggling, but I'm going to say it. My father was a heroin addict, and it wasn't kind of, it was the scourge of our family. It was the scourge of the greater community. For those who don't know, the heroin epidemic that swept through the minority community through the 60s and the 70s and the earlier part of the 80s wasn't treated like the heroin epidemic that's sweeping through our country right now. And the only thing that's different is the color of the skin of the people that's using the drugs. When it was minorities, it was jail them, jail them, jail them. When the problem came knocking on suburbia's door, on non-minorities' door, it was treatment, treatment, treatment. Unfortunately, oftentimes non-minorities don't recognize things to be a problem in the minority community until those problems come knocking at their door. We can circle the bandwagon and go to hip hop. Hip hop wasn't a problem and wasn't being addressed and looked upon for anything until it got to the non-minority community in the suburbs. And that's when Maxine Waters and everybody else, oh, we need to, you know, the language, oh, the this, oh, the that. And I've talked about this before on the PE episode and on the Ice-T episode and on the NWA episode. Once the music reached those people, that's when all of a sudden everyone wanted to start waking up to the lyrics and start trying to ban it. Because, whoa, hey, hey, you can't be telling the people the truth. You know what? Not, not to cut you off, John, but I'm sitting here listening to you and... Uh... This is already becoming a very powerful episode, and I'm already starting to to anticipate and you know guess what the response is going to be from you know some of the listeners, whether they be our fans or you know my family and friends and things of that nature. And what I can see is some of the eye rolling. You know what I mean? Like, oh, here we go again. This is this is the race car. You know, when when will they let it go? And I go back to a Killer Mike interview that he made just today on 107.9.9 in Atlanta. Um, and he asked a very important question. The interview was about 30 minutes long, man, but one of the questions he asked stuck with me like glue, and what he said was, when did we realize that being second best or second rate was okay? When did that become that's acceptable? The, and I think that's the problem, mm-hmm. because it's not acceptable. 
You understand what I'm saying? And I think that's where you get a lot of ire from both sides Mm -hmm. because you want me to be something that I'm not. You want me to be lesser than you so you can feel superior. But guess what? I'm not. And I'm not going to play that role so you can feel superior. It's, it's, It's just that simple. In Minnesota today, protesters went on the march, you know, uh, with, with Diamond to the governor's mansion. And then the governor of Minnesota came out and he said some things to me that really resonated. Because he stood up there as a white dude and said, and as, an, as a public official, and as the head of his state's police force, and he said there are some racial biases there that need to stop. Mm-hmm. And he said we all have to open up our eyes to it because evidently there is a problem. It's not a problem because I'm saying it's a problem, but it's a problem because the statistics show that it's a problem. And we're seeing this happen over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. How in the heck can you have a guy standing outside in Louisiana, outside of a store, the store owner is complicit with him selling his CDs and music. They were friends. Right. And then 5-0 rolls up. The next thing you know, they're tackling him to the ground, and he ends up dead. And I, and I, and I know everybody's going to say, well, he had all these prior records or these prior offenses. Mm-hmm. But guess what? The cops didn't know about those prior offenses when they first rolled up on it because they didn't know who he was. And his prior offenses had nothing to do with why the officers were called. His prior offenses has nothing to do with that situation. The only thing going on in that situation at that moment, and I still, I am still in disbelief at where they pulled the gun out of his pocket. If you're wearing cargo shorts and you're a big man, that pocket, that hip pocket is not attached to the inside of those shorts. The pocket flies loose. So if you put anything of weight in that pocket, it's going to go to the bottom of the pocket. It's just that simple. And when you're laying on your back and you're a big man, put your cell phone in your pocket. Put your cell phone in your pocket and lay back. And watch where your cell phone goes. It's going to fall to the inside of your leg in the bottom of the pocket. It's going to fall to the outside of your leg in the bottom of your pocket. Watch that video again of that young man getting killed in Louisiana. When they pulled that little gun out of his pocket, I think that was like a one-shot Dillinger maybe. It might have been a 22. They pulled it out of the top of his pocket, the very top of his pocket. Unless the dude had a death wish and wanted to do suicide by cop, which doesn't seem to be the mantra for the cat because he had five kids, he's hustling, trying to, you know, do what he got to do for his family, then you're going to reach in your pocket and pull out that gun. The other point is his right arm is pinned underneath the bumper of the minivan. In the position of both of those police officers, even if he got his hand into his pocket, to grab the trigger and squeeze off, you're only going to be able to go up on a 30-degree angle. You're not going to be able to shoot yourself in the chest where those officers were located. You're not going to be able to shoot yourself in the upper abdomen, the lower chest, which is where the second officer was located. 
you're not going to be able to do it. A lot of these officers walk around with basically Batman's utility belt around their waist. They got pepper spray. They got tasers. They got guns with rubber bullets. They got all sorts of things at their disposal. And the procedure for a felony stop, and a felony stop is any stop involving a weapon. You can Google that. That's in any state throughout the United States. Requires two police cars. So if you're riding two to a car, that's four police officers. Back up to protect the officers as well as to protect the individual who may be arrested. So my, here, here's, here's my point. We can analyze this situation and those like it for years and years. We can debate about the procedures and policies of police and how to, you know, successfully disarm, you know, uh, volatile, you know, suspects and things of that nature and, you know, whatever the case may be. My question is this. What now? What now? What the hell do we do now? I go back to the interview with, uh, with uh, David Banner. I believe he made it a couple of days ago. He said, we've got two options. And Killer Mike talked about it as well in his interview today. He said, we can resort to violence, which obviously is not the best option, or we can resort to economics as, as, as our means of making the point that it is not okay for us to be second rate or second best. I mean, our, our voice and our opinions matter. You know, I'll go back to Killer Mike's question. When did it become acceptable that it's not? You know, sad to say, this, I, issue, this issue that happened, you know, in Baton Rouge, you know, the, the issue that happened in, in Minnesota, it's not going to be the last. It's going to happen again. You know, these officers, you know, based on statistics, these guys are going to get off, man. They're not going to go to prison. They're going to get off. They're on administrative well, you know, leave as we speak. You know, you know they're already setting the table for those guys in Louisiana. They get off by saying that the uh, that the victim's right arm was moving. Well, let me tell you something. Have somebody kneeling on your stomach and another guy kneeling on your uh, on your left arm with another knee to your left uh, shoulder and with a gun pointed in your chest. It's kind of hard to be docile when you feel like you're about to be murdered. People don't understand that. We all have that fear mechanism. And when you feel like your life is about to be taken, you're going to fight. I don't care who you're fighting against because you love your life. Police officers are supposed to de-escalate situations. Just like you, number of police officers, good friends of mine. Good friends of mine. You know, I, my heart goes out for them for the job that they do because they really don't get enough credit. You know, we are talking about, just like with any stereotype, the stereotype represents what, Scott, about 10% of the population. So we are only talking about maybe 10% of cops out there who are going off in this rogue behavior. I understand we got to get to the solution, but where does it come from? Because the only way to get to a solution is to understand the root cause of something. Right. And that's the thing. I don't, you know? think, I don't think the apologists, because I, I honestly, I don't know what else to call them, John. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be you know, derogatory or, or, or sarcastic, especially during a time like this. I don't think they understand. I don't think they understand the perspective that we're coming from. You know, the fear that we feel. You know, it's, it's something that's foreign to them. You know, it's not something that Scott, they can I can't let them off the hook with that. I, I'm not either. I can't let them. No, nah, I'm not letting nobody I, off the hook. I, 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 I can't say that they don't understand 
but I can say that they don't care. I'm saying they don't want to understand. It's you not know, comfortable. Because if you can have compassion for gorilla, where, where's the outrage from the minority community over people getting killed? People. And it's a shame, man. It is a shame. So what do we do? The people who enjoy Jim Crow, they had kids. They had children. So when I look at the numerous pictures of white supremacy from the 70s on back and the Klan was more open with how they operated, and you see people being hung in a town square, and if you look closely, you'll see a lot of those people are kids. So they were ingrained, they were indoctrinated with this mentality. Then you look at our police force, and you can Google it right now, the number of police officers in 2015 alone who were fired from the police force throughout the country for having ties to white supremacy organizations, namely the KKK and different Aryan organizations. So if you have people within the organizations that are supposed to protect and serve us, and they're ingrained and indoctrinated with a hate towards a certain group of people, they shouldn't be on your police force. And I'm gonna tell you right now, we had racism in the Marine Corps. But I, but I will tell you this, we dealt with it amongst our ranks. And those people either decided to leave the Marine Corps or they had a very hard time getting along. If you don't deal with that root cause, if you don't get those people out of there, then all we're going to keep doing is putting Band-Aids on an open wound that's gushing blood. I think what's going to happen, and I hate to say it, man, but you know, we're heading towards civil war, where you're going to have a group, a large group of people that feel like they've got nothing else to lose other than the fight for their freedom, other than the fight for you know the safety of their families. You know what I mean? I think we are... Quickly inching, you know, towards that stark reality. No doubt, man. And I have a big, big question for you, Scott. What's up? A young man who was gunned down in his car mm-hmm. in Minnesota. Yeah. Was licensed to carry, right? Yes, he was. Have you heard anything from the NRA? That young lady Diamond, whose four-year-old daughter was in the back seat, mm-hmm. and watched and watched her dad get gunned down in the front seat. Guess what they did with her for five hours? Kept her in a locked room at the police station. Didn't feed her, didn't offer her any water, didn't do anything for her. Couldn't answer any of her questions, just kept her there questioning her. Seized her cell phone, seized her Facebook account. But you have a guy who walks into a church and guns down nine people in the middle of Bible study. And when he is apprehended, he is taken to Burger King. There is a social issue where the power structure and those who are charged with wielding that power tend to look upon minorities because it's just not black folks who's getting gunned down. It's Hispanics. You know what I mean? This is just not a black problem. We see our faces on TV more or those that look like us more. 
But this is happening everywhere. And I'm going to tell you right now, Scott, unfortunately, just like with the heroin epidemic that I described mm -hmm. and other epidemics, the only time this thing is going to change is when it starts happening to my, when you start seeing minorities on TV getting gunned down in their car, or excuse me, non-minorities on TV getting gunned down in their car at the same rate or greater than non-minorities, that's when people are going to start standing up and taking notice. Let Punk Trump's son get shot by a police officer or some other prestigious person in politics. Every officer, all of a sudden, the United States government will find grant money to supply every police department within the United States, not only body cams, but additional training on how to be de-escalating whenever they approach a situation, which is what they're supposed to do in the first place anyway. Second rate, just like I said before. That's how the world sees us, and that's unfortunately how we see ourselves. We accept this as being, you know, the norm. You know, this is just how we're treated. This is just the way it's always been. This is the way it is. You know, we, we speak out. You know, we, we, there's outrage, but then Saturday comes. Sunday comes, and then this is just back to the grind. It's just the way it is. But just like what you said, if it happened to someone from the quote-unquote other side or the elite, true equality would feel like oppression to the privileged. They want to keep things status quo. want to keep things as is. Because, again, that's how things have always been. Like you said, man, we've been so desensitized to what happens to us on TV. And like you said, it's just another day. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's another one. Oh, it's another one. After seeing what happened to the young man in Louisiana mm -hmm. and then seeing what happened to the young man in Minnesota, I, I just could not bring myself to post it. What I did have to do this morning you know, my son, it's workout season for him. He's, you know, getting ready. He's in travel baseball. He's about to do football, you know, in August. So, you know, he's running, getting in shape and everything. And he tells me, you know, he's, I had to stop from leaving the house today to go to work, to actually have a conversation with my son about, hey, look, if you're going to wear your earbuds while you're running and if a police officer approaches you, just keep your hands in the air and start yelling at him. I cannot hear you, I have my music on. And just keep saying it. And then say to him, can you take my earbuds out of my ears? While both of your hands are up in the air and while you're looking at him, do not reach for your phone, do not reach to take an earbud out, don't move. And as a parent, I got in my car and drove to work today with such a feeling of uncertainty to the point where I sent him a text, hey, before you leave, text me when you leave, and text me when you get back. And I almost wanted to tell him, hey, while you're running, just call me and, you know what I mean, and just keep me on your earbuds so I can, so I can hear. Yeah, it shouldn't be that yeah, way. Yeah, it shouldn't be that, it shouldn't be that way, man. No. Well, just like what you were saying before with the kids, you know, back in the, back in the Jim Crow era, I mean, what about the kids now? Growing up with this type of fear indoctrinated into them. What are we turning ourselves into from a humanities perspective? What are we turning ourselves into now? What is this going to manifest into? I just really pray that this is that watershed moment where everybody finally wakes up. 
You know what, though, man? It's, it's real easy to say that when that framework and that infrastructure that you need to cultivate that type of mentality, that type of thought process exists, you know, and it's within your realm of understanding. You know what I mean? But what if, you know, your whole life you've been told that you're, that's your second rate, that's your second best, you know, and that, you know, you can't have the best. You can only have what's, what's relegated to you. And you understand, you just know full well, you are conscious, you are awake. You know full well that this is happening to you. You know, but Bruh. how can you internalize that and turn it into something beautiful? Well, let me just put it this way, man. It's extraordinarily difficult. Right. Yeah. I said that for a reason because we do that every day. There are some beautiful, beautiful black men and women that I look to for support on multiple levels. You know, you look at some of our some of our leaders in our communities. I mean, they deal with the things that we deal with, and and, and look how beautiful they've become. No doubt. And one of my cousins, her name's Toy Hutchison. She's a senator uh, in Chicago, and I invited her to come on the podcast this evening. But unfortunately, because it was last minute, she wasn't able to. But there are those roses that grow up through the concrete. And she, my daughter interviewed her several years ago for a project my daughter had at school. And Toy says something very, very insightful. And she basically said, you know, my daughter asked her, you know, why'd you get involved in politics? And Toy responded, because I got a big mouth and I figured I could make more change yelling from inside the building mm -hmm. than yelling from outside the building. I like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that what that is what needs to happen more. In my opinion, the only way we can make the system more balanced and turn an unjust justice system into a just justice system, which works for all men, irregardless of national creed, race, color, national origin, the whole nine yards. And you can throw sexuality into that now mm -hmm. because that is a big thing now. No doubt. The only way you can make those changes is if you get on, it, get on the inside of the building. So for all these local elections, because that's where it starts, for the local police chief, show up to the polling booth. And the same police chief that said, and, you know, this is not or this is a justifiable shooting, vote his butt out. So, you know, I, I honestly think that we get fatigued with the fight because we lose sight of the goal, you know? And so that's the thing that's with this fight, man. And it took from 1776 to 2008 for our first African-American president. Let me ask you a question now. Are things better? Here's what I'll tell you to answer that question. I don't think things are better, I just think they're covered up better, you know, because my grandfather used to always tell me, I like my races open and honest. Well, let me tell you why I asked you that question. I'm sitting in the airport. Uh, I can't remember where I was going. Obama had just become elected. And I was having a discussion with two guys who were in the lounge and um, talking about the election, talking about Obama. And of course, you know, after you get past Obama's, you know, political stance and his views on this and that, now we have the obligatory conversation about race. And, um, of course, they asked me what I felt. And I said, well, I think he'll be a great president. They were baiting me. They wanted me to talk about his race. And so after about 15 minutes, I relented, and I asked him that same question. There were two older white gentlemen. I asked him the same question I asked you. I said, well, are things better now than they were before? 
And they looked at me kind of confused before they answered, and they were like, well, I think if, if they are much, they are better. I think things are the way they should be. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, look at it. You know, look at the way things are now. I mean, you guys can vote. You guys can own property. You know, you guys can walk freely. And at that time, I remember thinking, wow, they're not. <laughs> they're not better. <laughs> if, you know, it's almost like they were saying subconsciously, because to be honest, they were, you know, nice, nice enough guys. I mean, you know, we were having a good conversation about other things before we got to this, man. But I remember thinking at the time, I was like, wow, this is what it really is about. They can give us. You know, some things here, you guys do this, you guys do that, you guys vote, you guys can walk around and shop and own property, but you're still second rate. You know, the real services, the real joys of, of freedom and humanity they belong to us. You guys can have some other stuff, but, you know, leave the rest to us. It's almost like they were, that's how they were saying it. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, because I've, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Like you should be grateful for 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 the little for the, like the little bit of freedoms that you enjoy now. So things, yeah, things are the way they're supposed to be. And I just remember thinking, wow, you know, this this is a problem. You know, I, 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 it wasn't some aha moment. Of course, I know there's a problem, but to see it in front of your face like that from a smiling, kind, and cordial man, you know, that, that was, seemed to be showing me respect. I'd see, I could see deep down inside what he truly felt about the difference between himself and myself was still there. That chasm, oh, yeah. that chasm still exists. No doubt. And, that, and you could take that, that chasm, you could take that, those, those thoughts and, you know, those feelings and apply them to pretty much everything and anything that exists. The expression on that store owner when you walk into a when you walk into a store with your with your friend or your family, how he seems to be paying a little bit more attention to you than he is the other customers, you know, um, the haste or or the frustration that that ticket counter clerk shows you when you're trying to to order things or when you're trying to to, to pay for services, you know, those things exist almost like it's an instinct for some. While we're angry, while we're outraged, while we're kind of at a loss for words, you know, the reason why we're doing this, this episode of the podcast in the first place, it seems almost like it's just the way life is for us. And that in itself <clears throat> is a bigger problem than the problem it, itself. You know what I mean? Like you talked about Jane Elliott. You know, I love Jane Elliott and the work that she has done over her lifespan, mm -hmm. you know, and for those who don't know the backstory on Jane Elliott, and she developed what's called the Blue-Eyed Study, uh, where she just put basically uh, little ribbons around kids' necks. And those ribbons sim simulated the fact that they were less than the other kids who had brown eyes because they had blue eyes. And how the kids felt dread and how at first the kids were like, you know, they thought it was a game and everything was cool, but come day three and day four, now they're, you know, they don't want to come to school. And then she took her study further and did it on adults. You know, Jane Elliott and her work, if non-minorities really want to understand what minorities go through on a daily basis, really listen to Jane Elliott and let her explain it to you. You know, I posted about the conversation that I had with my son 
and a young lady from France that I happened to meet on a cruise several years ago. Uh, I was on a cruise with my family for the holidays, and uh, you know she's a she's a dancer, um, ballet, classical, all those sort of things. And uh, she posted, you know, she commented on my post, and she was just like, and her name is Isabella Tosi, and I hope I got your last name right, Isabella. <laughs> but she posted, as a French person, I cannot believe you guys have to have these so surrealistic conversations. That brought me to my knees, Scott, mm. because to me, and because I always overthink things, you know, she's saying, how can you as a culture, as a people, continually put up with the consistent brutalization of your fellow man? You know, and like you said, we're just so desensitized to it from the moment we were taken off those slave ships and fathers and sons were ripped apart, mothers and daughters were ripped apart. My ancestors earned the rights for me to be able to go to the same schools as other kids. They earned that right because they fought for it. They died for it. When you have the systematic oppression of a whole race of people and irregardless of what you try to do via social engineering to stomp these people out they keep coming back stronger better smarter and their resiliency grows in your oppression you see that's the thing that non-minorities are baffled about how do they keep coming back they keep fighting the secret is simple the more pressure you put under something you put something under and the more it's able to withstand that pressure the stronger it's going to be once you release it from that pressure or once it finds its way through that pressure. You asked me a question earlier, and I want to get a chance to, uh, to address it. And you wanted to know what the impression of, of the U.S. and, you know, just kind of put into a nutshell, the U.S. and, and the racial problems that we have um, in the United States, what the impression of those issues are overseas. And what I can tell you is it's skewed. It's, it's not correct. It's wrong. And I find myself doing a lot of correcting, you know, especially with respect to to black women and, um, you know, the you know, the the glorification of how violent black men are and how wrong that is. You know, I'm 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 feared, you know, when I walk through the malls and things of that nature. But it's a fear of of intrigue. You know, the questions that I ask are always the same. They're always asking about Obama. They ask me about, you know, basketball and do I know Kobe Bryant? Do I know Shaq and things of that nature? But with respect to the racial issues that we have in the United States, they don't understand it. Because, of course, they, they, they're going to compare it to what and how they live. And I'm speaking specifically in, in Asia. They have their own racial problems, but nothing at all like what we have in the United States. Nothing at all like, you know, what we see and what's going on like right now. You know, and um, I find myself almost embarrassed. No, I am embarrassed, you know, when things like this hit because it's a new round of questioning, a new round of questions like what's wrong with black people? Why do the cops have to keep killing black? What's wrong with you? 
You see what I'm saying? It's that level of questioning. It's, it's from that perspective. They don't understand, you know, the level of oppression that African-Americans have had to live under and endure since our existence in the United States. They don't understand the, the generations that it goes back, you know, how we're perceived in, in public light, both in the media, within our own families, amongst our friends, out on the street, amongst our neighbors and things of that nature. They don't get it. They think something must be wrong with us in order for us to be treated that way. You know what I mean? So I do a lot of, or I try to anyway, do a lot of re-education. The media is, is, is not telling you the truth. You know, they're, they're, they are glorifying stereotypes. They're not telling you the truth. So that's what I spend the majority of my time doing. And I'm tired of it. I'm completely tired of it. I choose now to just ignore it because no matter what you say, no matter what you do, what you see on the TV, what you see on the internet, what you see in Hollywood is true because that is their reference point. I am not their reference point. I, I am just, you know, an anomaly. You know, somebody that, 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 that escaped, you know, I'm not in that, in that realm anymore to them. But um, what I want to do, I want to I wanna, I wanna mention one last thing before, before we sign off. Uh, I know you probably got a few more things to say, man, but one of the, one of the gripes that, you know, that people have been having on social media is that, you know, our, our artists, you know, our hip-hop artists, the ones that we go to for, you know, for the message and for things of that nature with respect to, you know, societal ills and, and things like that, is that they've been silent. <clears throat> they, they've been silent. They haven't said anything. But as we were talking, Jay-Z released a statement. So I just want to read it for you real quick, John kind of get your impression on, you know, what you, what you think about what he said. And um, he said, I made this song a year or so ago. I never got to finish it. Punch told me I should drop it when Mike Brown died. Sadly, I told him, quote, this issue will always be relevant, quote. I'm hurt that I knew his death wouldn't be the last. I'm saddened and disappointed in this America. We should be further along. We are not. I trust God and know everything that happens is for our greatest good. But man, it's tough right now. Blessings to all the families that have lost loved ones to police brutality. And then he followed that up with a quote from the great Frederick Douglass, where he said, where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob and degrade them neither persons nor property will be safe son it's it's just it's it's absolutely unbelievable man and you know i always get on you know the quote-unquote you know uh black the african-american leaders who always spin webs about what the problems are without solutions so i'll try to provide a solution in 45 seconds or less and that solution is simply this change the people in the offices that make the laws which govern us that is the only thing we can do violence only begets violence and they have more guns and the law on their side if you look at the lb uh the lbgt community you know using them as an example they got on the inside to help change the laws for people that look like them. And until we understand that process, we will not get due process. We will continue to be executed in the streets. 
by officers who operate with impunity as if they're Judge Dredd and will keep having marches, will keep having these conversations, but it'll keep happening. Because until people are held accountable, there is no accountability.